Welcome to Kitchen Table, candid conversations about sex, relationships, and being human. I'm Brittany Palacastro. And I'm Nick Antony. And today we're talking to Kevin Patterson about advanced polyamory. Ooh. Hey, Nick. Hey, Brittany. You caught me off guard for a second there. I was just like, eh. <laughs> I like hit record. Nick's just like staring off into space. I literally was grabbing like, one of the stands and I was just like, Hmm, just thinking. Yeah, I zoned out for a second. I'm sorry. Okay, we'll zone back in. I'm back here. I'm in it. We're recording a podcast. I'm with you right now. I'm with you right now. How are you doing? It's been a really intense and tumultuous two weeks for me. Yeah. A lot of unexpected things. I was traveling, had certain expectations for that travel. They did not pan out, yeah. one would say. Um, and there was some shifting plans, booking last minute Airbnbs. Then I got my flight canceled in the Montreal airport, got stuck in Montreal for two days. Thought I might not be able to get back again, which I gotta say, like shout out to all the people that are um, getting their flights canceled, mm-hmm. especially while they're in like a place where, you know, they don't know anyone. And I've done tons and tons of travel, but haven't really, this was my first flight in a minute. So yeah. it's really a scary feeling to not know if you're going to be able to get home from a flight and then hear that like there's no cars to be rented there's no buses everything's booked like because everyone is in kind of the same boat because you know i'm all about like nervous system like and and that like goes into survival because it's like am i gonna get when am i gonna get home (laughs) when am i gonna have a bed you're high up for a minute and for a minute yeah and uh i definitely had to talk to you while you were moving those spaces but (laughs) i gotta say i think you handled it very well Thank you. I am very proud of myself, the way that I showed up for myself. And yeah, sometimes we just we just need to take our reins and steer the best that we can. And I think that I did that. So, and I had some really cool adventures that weren't expected. So, yeah, you did. You know, I got to be in this beautiful little town called Kelowna and on a beach that I like booked this like last minute Airbnb. It was amazing. It and on a lake, it yeah. was so gorgeous. And um I spent some time like walking around the city of what's it called Montreal and you know so it was cool and exciting just a little unexpected and you know and then coming back and it's the holiday weekend and so I'm like woo so it's there's something to be said about routine it's a part of life and we love our routine I and, love my routine yeah to not have like a, like a homestead or a place where like you can kind of like you know Mm-hmm. Take your hat off and push, kick your heels up. I'm like mm-hmm. a, I just can't imagine not having that. Yeah. That, 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 that like the comfort. People that don't have that. No. And then there's people that like kind of choose, like they're, you know, they're just kind of like, oh, I'm just going to be a nomad. I'm just going to like, you know, travel around and do my thing and that. And I've done a little bit of that, but I've yeah. always, you know, these days my like routine and my rituals are just so important to me. So I am happy to be back. Mm-hmm. I'm as well. <laughs> Thank you. Welcome to Kitchen Table. I'm Brittany. I'm Nick. And today we are interviewing Kevin Patterson. So Kevin is an active member of the Philadelphia polyamory community. He's been practicing ethical non-monogamy since August of 2002, after opening up a relationship that eventually became his marriage. Kevin was inspired to start Poly Role Models in 2015, an interview series for people describing their experiences with polyamory. And to continue that discussion of polyamorous representation, Kevin has extended the blog's work into the writing of the book, Loves Not Colorblind, Race and Representation in Polyamorous and Other Alternative Communities, along with co-writer Alana Fellin. Kevin launched a sci-fi novel series for hire that centers characters of color as well as other marginalized identities. Beginning in 2020, Kevin has worked with Dr. Liz Powell to create the Unfuck Your Polyamory educational series, best name ever, including lessons for both individual users as well as service providers. Unfuck is designed to help people navigate the world of consensual non-monogamy while avoiding a lot of the common mistakes. Welcome, Kevin. Thank you so much for having me on. Yeah, we're so excited to have you. Absolutely. Solid content right there, man. Like, just like hearing that list, I'm like, yeah. Yeah. Ooh. <laughs> Get it. <laughs> like, those are some, that's, that's some good stuff. Appreciate it. Appreciate it. I work real hard <laughs> at it. That's great. Yeah. So, we talked about this a little bit before we hit record, but I just wanted to share how we connected because I think these things are fun for people to be like, oh, this is how polyamory works. So, my partner, 
whose name is also Kevin, which we've already had some confusion with earlier today when I was like, I need to send an email to Kevin. And, and Nick's Kevin? like, Who, what? Why? You just talked to Kevin. And I'm like, no, not my Kevin, the other Kevin. Like, I'm sorry. <laughs> and so, yeah. So he was like, I used to date Kevin's wife. My Kevin was like, I used to date Kevin's wife. And I was like, wow, that's really cool. <laughs> and he was like, we can put, you know, put you in touch. And so this is how things happen a lot of times yeah, in polyamory, yeah. right? Yeah. Yeah. Kevin, your Kevin is the homie. <laughs> a lot of the work that I do started with me just being like very feeling very isolated and alone as a black man in the local polyamory community. And the one other black guy that I would see on a regular basis was, was your Kevin. Kids call me Mr. Other Kevin, you know, like <laughs> I would see him around. We've been confused for one another a number of times, even though we don't look anything at all alike. We just trust that. They look nothing alike at all. Yeah, besides yeah. being two black men. <laughs> Yeah, other than being a couple of Kevins who both graduated from HBCUs, we have like not a whole ton in common, but that's, that's what happened. That's what, that's what it would be like in our community. And it started me talking and it started me writing and then here we are. So we know the impetus, you know, of you, um, creating a lot of these things, especially the book. Yeah. Um, can you talk a little bit about the book? Uh, yeah, thank you. The book Love's Not Colorblind, like basically once I started being in our local communities, I felt a way about being so, you know, feeling so isolated and I was talking about it. And at some point I was talking about it to someone who had to a, a partner of mine who had a lot of experience in educational spaces as far as like dating and sex and relationship coaching and, and stuff. And they were like, look, you should be talking about this. You should be talking about this in front of audiences because people need to hear your experiences here. And that's what I would do. Like um, starting first here in Poly Living Philadelphia, you know, Catalyst Con in Chicago, you know, Woodhull in Washington, D.C. I started doing these workshops about race and polyamory and how the two intersect. And at some point I got in contact with the people at Thorn Tree Press, Eve Rickard. And she was like, hey, look, we've been hearing a lot about this workshop that you've been giving. Do you think that's something you'd be able to spin into a book? And if you've ever attended one of these workshops, like it's basically the book in short form, or maybe it's the book in long form. It's a pretty short book. <laughs> I write pretty concisely. But yeah, it's basically me explaining the way polyamory looks. If you're a person of color going into spaces that are typically very white, very able-bodied, very cisgender, very patriarchy-centered, you know, a lot of these spaces can feel unwelcoming. And it's it's not a polyamory book. It's a sociology book that uses polyamory as its basis. So like I explain, and not just me, but like I explain, say like what fetishization might look like in these spaces. I explain what, you know, how it feels to be other in these spaces, what the root causes are. And then I have other people's telling their own stories as well, because a magic thing would happen when I was doing these workshops. And I'd say like, hey, you know, this is what fetishization is. This is how it happened to me at some point. And then someone else would raise their hand and say, oh, wow, that's how it, you know, that, that same thing happened to me, you know? And then there'd be like a white person who'd be like, oh shit, I did that to somebody. <laughs> yeah. yeah. And it's something that maybe they didn't realize was as unwelcoming or uncomfortable, you know, as untowards as they thought it was, you know? As an example, like I was at Southwest Love Fest a few years back. This might have been the weekend after Love's Not Colorblind came out because I had never been to Tucson before. And I'm going to take a quick aside here. I had never been to Tucson before. And then I ended up going in back-to-back -back weeks. The second week was Southwest Love Fest. The first week was a long distance partner of mine who I had never met in person was getting married and they asked me to give them away at the wedding. So the first weekend we actually spent in person was me giving them away at their wedding. That wow. is beautiful. I love that. That's so cool. And that was the same, like that wedding was like the day before Love's Not Colorblind released. And then I came back the following weekend for Southwest Love Fest where I was doing my workshop about race and polyamory and explaining, you know, the, some of these racial dynamics. And someone came up to me and, they were, and was trying to talk to me about abusers in the kink community. And somewhere in the conversation, this guy was telling me, yeah, well, you know, we don't really have a lot of problems with race here. It's more about abusers. You know, my wife, you know, we love black folks here. My wife has a queen of spades tattoo. And I'm like, oh, sir. Sir, no, 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 no. Like for any person listening who is unaware, like spade is a racial slur. And 
that whole queen of spades thing is more like, hey, I'm slutty for black folks. It's the height of fetishizing. And some people felt really strongly enough about it that being a positive that they got tattoos or like call themselves queen of spades, king of spades or whatever it is. And this guy just casually threw it in the, in the conversation as if I was supposed to feel more comfortable with him and his statement. Yeah. Oh, like, yeah. Really, like, really, I heard that and I kind of flinched. I was like, hey, buddy, I know we're talking about abusers in your local king community. But we're about to have a different conversation than the one you wanted. Yeah. It's going to be a less comfortable conversation than you wanted, but you're about to get it. Mm-hmm. <laughs> this is not what you expected It was about to happen, but it's going to happen. Yeah. How did that conversation end? Like, I'm so curious. I mean, like, I switched speeds directly away from speaking about abusers. Like, that's an important topic unto itself. But, like, we already came from the general reality that abusers are bad. So we didn't have much more to say about that topic. Him throwing in this Queen of Spades tattoo as if it was a good thing. We could talk about abuse later if you want to, but we're going to talk about this tattoo and what it means and why you felt comfortable saying it to me and why I felt uncomfortable hearing it. And like, it wasn't like, I don't remember it being like tense or combative or anything, but like, I made sure that the point was really clear that this isn't a good thing you should be flouting around. In fact, you should probably cover that shit up. Yeah. Yeah. So it it was more of a call in moment than a call out moment. Exactly. Which is my brand of talk is more call in. I don't have a problem with call out. I know it exists for a reason. I know it exists for a good thing. And I'm glad that people are doing it. That's not really the what, that's not really the way I function. I don't need to do both things. Or I don't need to specialize in both things, is what I should say. Yeah, yeah, yeah. And so, can we talk, since we brought up this concept of fetishization? Oh, I can't say that's, that it's, word. It's a that's a hard word to say. Fetishization. <laughs> say it, Kevin. I can't say it. Fetishization. There we go. There we go. Yeah. I would actually like that to be in, because that's funny. Keep, Keep that. <laughs> we all make mistakes. Uh, <laughs> so, about that, can you explain a little bit about what that is, and maybe what it is, and what it isn't, you know, sometimes I hear ah, people, you know, like, oh, I've never dated a person outside of my race, or I only date this, per-, you know, I've only date this kind of person, I only date black people, I only date this, and can, you know, being concerned that they might be fetishizing, like, like, can yeah. you talk a little bit about it? It's basically the putting a positive spin on othering somebody like I'm a pretty slutty guy if you're trying to get me into bed it's not that difficult of a thing we can spark a conversation about any number of things I have a lot of different interests if you're interested in me because I'm black if you're interested in me because of like you know the the idea the concept of big black cock as opposed to being into someone as a person if you're into someone as a race if that's where all of your energy is geared towards you know that's fetishizing and like it's easy easy enough to be like, oh, well, I'm not racist. I'm into these people specifically. When realistically, if you're viewing people as a monolith, you're operating from the same set of stereotypes. You're operating from the same set of stigma. Maybe you want to put a positive spin on them, but you're operating from the same basic set of information and you're still dehumanizing somebody, you know? Oh, racism. It's just in a different pretty package around it. Yeah. Which isn't so pretty, actually. Mm-mm. Exactly. It's What is it? Uh, polishing a turd? Yeah. <laughs> You try to make that turd real shiny, and I ain't gonna have it. It's so let me tell turn. you what you did wrong in this moment. <laughs> like, I've had moments where, like, at a wedding, I'm covering a wedding, and someone's just like, "What's up, brother?" Like an older white man, and I, I swear, like the cringe factor. But I'm always in the space where, like, do I need to address this, or do I just need to back away and not photograph this person for the rest of the night? And like, typically, I'm just like, "All right, oh, uh, word," and I go off and I just shake it loose. I'm just like, but sometimes you're just like. <laughs> Don't call me that. <laughs> like, or don't, don't snap your fingers in my face like that. <laughs> like, you got you to check it. And we all have to do like the, these metrics in our head. We all have to like do like all this math in our head, deciding like how much of this nonsense am I willing to tolerate before I say something? Am I going to say something or am I just going to leave? Am I going to avoid this person? Like, how much do I want to enjoy this event that I'm at? Versus how much I want to make this person uncomfortable for having made me uncomfortable. Like just having to do all that math in your head just to live, just to survive, you know, it's exhausting. So exhausting. I also feel like in in terms of like being a black man and like you get get this, like having to constantly being a black person, having to do all that work 
and like be living in that space of like, all right, let me code switch, but let me switch back. And then let me adjust this, this tone. Let me connect with this. And like, it's just always like active mental work that we're doing. And I feel like a lot of people now who aren't black or of color are being forced to, you know, gain some fortifiedness around this, but like black folks have fortified around this topic while also simultaneously doing dope ass shit and influencing things throughout the span of history. And it's just, we had to juggle both and do both things, be the go-to and be like, you know, try not to be too crazy in, in moments. But uh, sometimes this is so frustrating. It really is. Yeah. Yeah. And it's, um, I've said this before, like, I always wonder, like, how much could we accomplish if we weren't spending so much time on like self-defense in that way, like, you know, defense mechanisms, you know, and just doing and just having to, to run constant calculations about like my personal experience in this place, even something as simple as I got to walk somebody to the bus stop. It's raining. Do I put up my hood and possibly look like somebody who doesn't belong here or not? You know, just basic stuff. Always wondering when someone's going to come and interrupt my life, whether it be a cop or just someone who decides that they're a cop in the moment. I'm not going to put any spoilers on it because I don't know what y'all have seen or haven't seen. By the time this releases, the latest bits of Stranger Things will have been out for more than a month. Without spoiling anything too deep, there's a character in this season of stranger things that just decides to be a cop like you're not deputized you don't have any authority he's just like you know what? i'm gonna go be a cop yeah yeah <laughs> he gathers up some people and they go be cops yeah and at some point there's a confrontation with a black character and i remember feeling so tense watching that because i know what that feels like yes mm. yeah it's such an embodiment though like of our country and also the privilege that like some people have and like living here and just like thinking like, oh, I got to do what's right. And I got to show up in this way. And I got, and I got to police the situation when it has like nothing to do with you. Like, it's just like, you stay out of black folks business and like chill. Like it's not affecting, you know, Ahmaud Arbery died that way. He was taking a jog in his neighborhood where he lived and some guy decided I'm a cop today. I'm going to go, I'm going to grab my gun and get in my truck and go after this guy who's jogging in his neighborhood where he lives. Yes. Mm. A group of dudes. Like, it's wild, man. It really is. You know, and just like, just having to do that sort of navigation and like, and the stuff that motivates that doesn't leave in polyamorous spaces, you know, as much as we try to be open and welcoming and we talk a good game about, you know, relationship anarchy and like the revolution of love and all of that stuff. That same white supremacist bullshit doesn't just not show up in those same spaces. That's essentially what the book Love's Not Colorblind is about, like how it shows up in these spaces, how that thing that you thought was welcoming can really just be an uncomfortable microaggression and, you know, what to do with yourself or what to do with your organization if that's the case. Thank you for creating that, right, for creating this this literature for people and these courses for people to understand because, you know, there's a lot of ignorance, right? And there's thinking I'm an ally and I'm just really like the story you told, right? There's thinking like, oh, I'm an ally. Let me prove I'm the good white person and that I I love black people, you know, that thing. When really, you know, there's like that big old foot's in the mouth now. It's like, can I pause you right there? One of the cool things that's happened since Love's Not Colorblind's released is that there have been some um, some book clubs. And during the pandemic, a lot of them turned into, you know, digital book clubs. I got an invitation to be a part of one of those book clubs. Like they had spent however much time reading the book and then they were having like a group discussion on it and they invited me. I think it was based out in California. And I said, sure, I'll take part. I don't want to speak too much. I just want to hear what people are saying, maybe chime in if necessary. And this one guy started going on and on. This on this older white guy started going on and on and on about all the different women of color he's dated just to show that he's one of the good ones. And I was like, I have to say something here. I have to say something. I have to say something. And thank goodness somebody else jumped in and stopped this guy and told him about himself. (laughs) So that I didn't have to. Like, I was like, my hand was just hovering unmute button just because, like, we get it, dude. Like, this isn't an individual problem. It's a systemic problem. And you're not proving anything to anybody other than you're trying to, like, dismiss yourself from the factors that inhabit us all, you know? I'm a cis dude. I'm always going to get some cis dude shit wrong, you know? Like, I work really hard to support the women and the the non-binary folks, the trans folks in my life. I work really hard to support them as much as I can. But I'm always going to say some shit wrong at some point. There's always going to be a point where 
I'm not going to see it the way that they see it. There's going to be a problem that they have that I'm not going to recognize as a problem. And so like I can go on and on and on about like all the different trans folks in my life to prove that I'm not, you know, to prove that I'm one of the good ones, or I can accept that I'm as flawed as everybody and work to do better the next day. As well-meaning as some people might be, even if they're trying to create a container of safety by saying that or whatever it is, you know, there's also ego in that, right? There's also like, look at me, look at me. I'm one of the good ones. When I hear that, or even when I experience that within myself, Mm -hmm. like wanting to be seen like that, that's selfish. And anybody else, that has to do with me. Yeah, You know, that's an ego thing of like, look at me. When really what you want to do is shut the fuck up and listen. That's it. (laughs) Take a step back, listen, learn, ask questions, but having to prove something, you know, I feel like in that space already, there's disconnected Mm -hmm. because it's really about, you know, if I did that, it's really about me being like, look at me, look at me, like me. Yeah. Yeah. Really? (laughs) And I've absolutely had to, like, I say frequently that men are embarrassing. Like men, men are straight embarrassing. And I, and I have to include myself in saying that. Like, I'm not trying to say I'm better than anyone else. I want to be as responsible as I possibly can when it comes to my circle and the people that I care about most. And to act as though, or to just not be able to hold space and leave room for someone to express themselves or what their overall experience is. Like I had someone recently tell me that being uh, trans was trendy recently. Oh, and I was like, what? Trendy? Like, no, wearing hoop earrings is trendy. Like <laughs> having your hair, a hairstyle is trendy. Being like, a like, trans like, person like, I do trendy. think living as a trans person is an easy thing to go about. That That's like living in like pure authenticity. Like, that's like, li- like, that's like picking and choosing that I'd rather, I'd rather exist in this space than have to close myself and not invite people into this. Like, I want to live authentically and just out and be proud of this shit. So mm-hmm. like they said that I was just like, mm, I was like, those are two separate things. I was like, what do you like, think? Trendy is like not a part of that conversation. Mm-hmm. Like people are, are basically being able to express themselves more and feel comfortable doing this and are also choosing to live in their truth. And that is beautiful. And I want to support that like no matter what. And I need to call myself out when I fail and I need to show better in, in spaces. And it's just like, okay, yes, I'm sorry for that. I'll do better next time. Like the end. <laughs> yeah. And like the urge to defend yourself and become combative when somebody tells you that you've said something wrong, when you, somebody tells you that you've, you've harmed them, like it's a really strong pull. It's a really strong urge. What I found is because I see how that works when I deal with white folks and racism, I just don't want to be that guy. You know, there are so many times where I'm like, hey, this is my experience. This is a time when I ran into some some racist bullshit. There's always a white guy that jumps in and says, well, how do you know it was really racist? You know, unless he was wearing a Klan hood and holding a Nazi ID card and says, you know, this is because you are black. and There is no proof that there's any like I don't want to be that guy. When somebody says like, hey, you know, okay, Kev, this thing that you said, this thing that you did was was harmful. You know, I fight that urge. I sit back and listen and I try to at least understand, like, even if I end up at the end of the day, don't agree, at least I know what it is that I did that that someone feels is harmful. And maybe at least on that level, even if it's something I don't agree with, even at, if I can just agree to just not do this around someone who might feel harmed by it, that's at least a step in like in creating the, a more compassionate space. I try to be that guy when I can, you know, like, I falter, but we all do. Of course. Absolutely. Yeah, and it's important to recognize that that we do falter and that in creating compassionate spaces and creating safe spaces, all of it is from action. It can be from what we say, how we say it. But when we're just saying like, I do this or this is a safe space, it's like something's not a safe space if somebody doesn't feel like that. Yeah. I could tell somebody that this is a safe space and it doesn't, if they don't feel safe... Oh, because they're, you know, if a person of color is in a space, it's mostly white people and I'm the leader and I'm like, this is a safe space. They might not agree with that. And maybe I continue to teach and to do things that creates a safe space for the people that are in there. Then they decide whether it's a safe space. Yeah. I can create a container of safety. I can speak to that, but it's like the same thing. It's like, I can't tell anybody that they're safer, that that's up to them to feel that with me. Yeah. 
and by how I act and how I behave and how I show up, mm-hmm. not by me being like, I'm a good white person or I'm not going to be racist. I'm not racist. Like, sure. It's inside of me. It's, yeah. I think it's even, I mean, and I don't, I can't speak to this, but I would imagine that it would be safer to be like, not like, I'm not racist. I'm not going to make any mistakes more like, no, I'm going to make mistakes mm-hmm. and I'm here to be called in. You yeah. know, when I do that, that's just an idea. I and mean, I don't know if that, if that resonates, <laughs> but you know, it's important to have these conversations, especially in spaces like polyamory and spaces where, you know, already <laughs> we're not the norm, right? We're in these spaces where we're trying to create community in spaces that some people don't get it, there's judgment around it. And so already there's that. And then to not have the representation within these pockets that need representation already can be really challenging. Yeah. I mean, we as people, we have the free will and we have the ability, we can create whatever kind of space we want to create, you know, and just deciding what kind of behavior you're not going to accept or what kind of like, uh, what kind of things you will and won't accept. Like I think about that in terms of like humanity all the time, like humanity as a whole species, we could have created whatever space we wanted, but instead we made this place of like weird death and taxes and all this nonsense that we see like on on the news every day. We created that. But in a smaller scale, we can change that if we want to, at least if not for everybody and if not for everything, at least for the people who are right here and right now in this space. We can make a place comfortable for people to engage in polyamory in the way they'd like to. We got to think about it and doing this things in fractal energy, like doing mm-hmm. it in small bits, like, you know, internally and externally. Like it's just, that's just the way things have gotten progressively better. It's based off of people just, you know, cultivating and trying to, you know, establish a better understanding of each other. And here we are. But there's, there's just so much more work to do. And when things are feeling as bleak as they are, it's just like, we cannot stop fighting. I get you tired, rest up, take a moment, <laughs> take a breather, take a knee and just chill and then come back to this. And don't, you are no responsible for holding all of this because there is just so much to be worked on, to be looked at, to be examined internally and externally. So it's just, yeah, we got to take our breaks. We got to find the joy where we can find the joy. And we have to be in a space of just trying to, to push through because every generation has their shit. Every generation has their shit. This, I just, this current one feels like a extra high pile, but <laughs> we got to work it out. I was just going to say, your shirt says it all for real. What's your shirt say, Nick? Black joy is revolutionary. Who your partner? My partner, Carol. Yeah, Caroline got for you. And then I loved it. And so I got it for 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 my partner, Kevin. (laughs) (laughs) That's just real. Um, And so let's move in a little bit more deeply to polyamory. We did promise some polyamory talk here. So (laughs) so, yeah, I love the the last thing you said, I read in your bio was that, you know, while avoiding a lot of the common mistakes of polyamory, what are the common mistakes of polyamory. The most common one that I see is the one you see in like in every message board, every group chat. There are people trying to open up like previously monogamous relationships into a closed triad. It's a mistake in that it sounds entry level when really it's one of the hardest relationship styles to like, it was one of the hardest uh, relationship structures to either attain or to maintain. A lot of folks don't realize that, like, let's say me and my wife, just as an example, if it's me and my wife and we're trying to open up our relationship and we're trying to find the mythical hot bye babe to date us both or whatever, it sounds like we're just adding a person to a pre-established package and, you know, go team. When realistically, you're asking someone to fall in love with two people simultaneously and equally. And that's not how love really works. I'm currently in a triad. The two people that I'm with, I fell in love with them independently and they fell in love with each other independently. We were all dating separately and we all ended up like being in like in similar social circles. And when we all started dating the other two, we were like, hey, we have a particular dynamic when it's the three of us. And that's awesome. But we also have really great dynamics when it's any of the two of us. People kind of lose perspective on that when they feel like they can just, quote unquote, open up a relationship and add a third person. You know, that's not how attractions are formed. And you see these folks get really salty in message boards because they'll say, well, we were together with this one person for a while, but she only loved him and not me or she only loved her and not me. And and they get really upset. And I'm like, that's how relationships happen. You can't force someone to fall in love with two different people equally and simultaneously and then be mad when they don't. And also, you can't create a relationship structure 
and then ask someone who had no hand in creating that structure to just fill a role, which is the other part. One of my favorite quotes is from Mike Tyson, where he says, everyone has a game plan until you get hit in the mouth. That applies equally with polyamory. People become new to polyamory and they've got all these high minded ideas of what they should or shouldn't do. What rules should we set up? Who does this? How much time can we spend with each person? And then you fall in love with someone and realize that none of that shit fucking applies. You know? A thing that would happen with my wife and I, my wife would come up with some rule. This is like during the early days, like we're actually come August, we're about to hit like 20 years of non-monogamy. Let me get a slow claps and finger snaps on that one. (laughs) I mean, that's a big deal. Can we just pause for one second? Yeah. And like 20 20 years of successful polyamory right here. Anyone out there saying, I I couldn't do it. Like, (laughs) like it's it's doable. You don't see it. Successful doesn't get the traction. The successful moments don't get the traction. This is representation. We are talking to someone right now who has had 20 years of successful polyamory, Mm -hmm. right? We have six years of successful polyamory. Like it exists. Yeah, yeah. We're the grizzled old veterans of polyamory now. (laughs) Yeah, you are. (laughs) (laughs) My wife is actually out of town visiting her boyfriend. She just texted me a second ago to let me know that she was hopping on her plane to come on home. So I'm going to be picking her up from the airport in a couple of hours. What I was saying was... um, Something that would happen a bunch early on is that my wife, who I think is like the more insecure of the two of us as far as like the relationships go. I don't know. I, maybe I just lied. I don't know. <laughs> <laughs> we listen to this. Be like, um, really, Kevin? Why you call me really? out like that? Why you call me out like that? <laughs> <laughs> I'm not going to let her listen to this one. <laughs> but like my wife would come up with some rule. And like she'd be like, well, you know, let's uh, we only go out when our kids are asleep and, you know, or which would be like, you know, six or seven p.m. or whatever it was at the time, because we have young kids and they were even younger when this was happening, because that's the way yeah. time works. <laughs> <laughs> but she would say, like, let's only go out once the kids are in bed. And I'd say, cool, because I didn't have anything going on in my life that would challenge such a rule. So I would just agree. And then my wife would be like, all right, well, the kids aren't in bed, but my date starts a little early. I'm going to leave a little bit early. I'm like, okay, cool. And then she's like, all right, well, my date starts a little bit early. I'm not going to come home from work. Are you good at managing the kids on your own? I'd be like, yeah, sure, fine, go on ahead. And then she'd just go out. And then one day, months down the line, I'd say, oh, well, I've got a date that's starting a little early. I'm going to leave a little early. And she'd be like, but hey, we had this rule in place. And I'd be like, hey, you've been breaking this rule for like the last three months. She'd be like, really? It happened? I'm like, of course you have. And then we realized that the rule didn't really make a ton of sense and we just wouldn't adhere to it anymore. And that happened like a bunch of times in our early non-monogamy where she, she'd come up with a rule. I wouldn't have a reason to decline, so I'd agree to it. She'd break it for a few months because it didn't matter to me. And then I would break it and she'd let me know. And then then we wouldn't have a rule anymore. Yeah. But you got you can kind of have to go through that process sometimes, especially what, yeah. early, early on in our experience. We, we just established some like grant things. And there were moments where we crossed over those, those rules. Mm-hmm. But for the most part, it's always been very uh, malleable in terms of like, it's always shifting and growing. Like in one rule we have in terms of like our home is no sex in our bedroom. We've had that for the whole time. And it's just hasn't yeah. been one that we, and for me, I connect with energy. I connect. I'm just tapped in, in those kind of ways. And so for me, it's, it's a lot just to do with that and wanting the space, but yeah. we both, I mean, that wasn't one that one of us, we kind of both just connected but, with but that yeah, from the beginning. I, I like that. And, that sense to me. you know, we have like, we set up a nice space for, for, for partners, you know, with an, with an arrow mattress that looks really nice mm-hmm. and all of those things. Yeah. Um, but yeah, like that's something I think, you know, I think that, um, I talk to clients sometimes and just from our experience and that like, it's something to create safety because it's a night, it's like, it feels like a little bit of control, right? That like, okay, like, well, is there something that we can create some, some things that feel safe? And some of them definitely fall by the wayside when it's like, whether like a partner pushes back or you're like, oh, like this has been okay. And then, okay, someone's not actually okay with this. So we maybe need to rethink this. We we talk about it. Yeah. And then there's been some things like, um, you know, like Tuesdays, we picked Tuesdays and, and Sundays for like our days and, you know, unless one of us is working. And so that's been, you know, 
slipped and sliding a couple of times. Yes. But for the most part, we keep that because these are just a couple boundaries that we have that just, we don't have to think about them. Mm-hmm. And then if we, you know, if, if they need to be shifted, we'll talk about them. But like, it's nice to have some of those yeah. things in place, you know? It helps us. And like, you just have to make sure you're talking about it and giving each other space to be honest about how you feel about these things. Something that comes up a lot, like at least in, the, in terms of the polyamory advice, is like, you've got to give your person room to speak up without punishing them for that. Because like, like there have been times where my wife has screwed up and there have been times where I've screwed up where... In another relationship, it might have been like an extinction level event. But in our relationship, it meant we had a conversation, figured out why we felt the way that we felt and decided like how we could do better by each other the next time. If it had been something where like my wife screwed up and I'm yelling and screaming and I'm not a yelly, screamy guy, but you know, let's use that as an example. And I'm yelling and screaming. How could you do this? I'm so angry, blah, blah, blah. Maybe the next time she screws up, she doesn't tell me. Maybe the next time she's too scared to have that conversation with me. And then, you know, whatever problem becomes like long-term resentment. Who knows? Just the idea that we give each other room to say like, hey, I'm not feeling this. Or, hey, I've made a mistake. Or, hey, can we talk about why this boundary, why this rule is in place? Can we discuss this? Just giving each other the space to have those kinds of conversations, immeasurably valuable. Oh, my God. Any relationship. Any relationship. Any relationship. Like, that's one of the big biggest things that I've, I've gained within this lifestyle, like just like living this and like having this accessible, like it's, it's forced me to communicate what's going on internally and mm-hmm. make, I'm having an issue and it's not always perfect, but I just feel like there's more fluidity in being able to discuss these things in like any type of relationship or relating that I've done like throughout my life. And we've also, you know, I think that this is important to say that we've also, and all of our partners have been in therapy. We've done couples therapy, which was the impetus of that was absolutely opening our relationship and all hell breaking loose the first year and a half, two years. And so the skills that we gained from that, it was like, yes, polyamory does this, but also like we need to learn the skills and get support with that. And I think that that's important to do. Yeah. For me personally, in terms of us going into therapy based off of that, like us breaking up wouldn't have been based off of the, the polyamory. Mm-hmm. That's yep. what I'm not. We just had like blind spots within our relationship for the first five years that we had just Agreed. not been paying attention to. It, and it just brought all this stuff to the surface. So like, I just want to like preface that. Like, if, Agreed. And I definitely hold couples therapy as being something that like that, that saved us and like Agreed. grounded us into each other. So I mean, that ends up being another reason why it's sort of dangerous, like, um, you know, monogamous couples opening up their relationships, because a lot of times people do that because there's something they're unsatisfied with. And polyamory doesn't solve those problems. It highlights them, you know, it exposes them even further. I have a question, you know, like talking about these relationship dynamics and bringing other people in. And we haven't talked about this yet. Can we talk about metamorphs? Yeah, yeah. I just like, what first, this will be a little 101-ish because mm-hmm. we haven't talked about this at all other than me saying that, you know, you and <laughs> I'll keep referring to him as my Kevin, which he'll probably love. It works. Uh, <laughs> like, oh, <laughs> my Kevin had, you know, you were guys are metamorphs, but like, what is that? <laughs> the basic definition is a metamorph is my partner's partner. If it's someone who I am not also romantically linked to, my partner's partner. That's always been sort of an adventure for me because I'm a cis dude. And I'm a cis dude who, until a few years ago, identified as hetero, you know? And when you're a cis hetero guy, there's so much competition that gets drilled into you. There's so much, like the socialization is very competitive. Like I'm supposed to see other guys all the time as rivals, you know? I'm also supposed to see my partners, specifically female partners, as property. So for my partners to start, you know, dating other men, and then I'm supposed to like find a way to engage or interact or at minimum tolerate this other person, there, it requires a lot of unlearning. It goes against a lot of what, I, you know, what was drilled into me. I grew up on hip hop and I've heard a billion and one rappers talk about, I'll steal your girl. You know, there's never a shortage of that. And as a result, like I'm watching these other guys who grew up on the same shit that I grew up on and now I got to be teammates with this guy. I always try to lay it on extra thick the first time that I'm meeting somebody because there's always this like law of the jungle, tense stare down. I don't know how this person's going to take me or I don't know how I'm going to take it to this person. There's always like that sort of 
unease the first time that I meet some, you know, like meet one of my partner's other guys. So like the very first time I always lay it on real thick, like, hey, how's it going? Come sit down, have a drink. Can I get you a beer? How are we doing today? Like I lay it on real thick just so that like we get through whatever that tense bullshit is first. And then afterwards, we can decide whether or not we want to have like a real communication, a real relationship or, you know, a, a real friendship or whatever. I've got metamors who I just sort of work around. We don't really have a lot of communication. We don't really talk a lot and that's fine. And then I've got metamors who like I'm buddy buddy with, you know, I've got money more like um, I love Avatar The Last Airbender, but one of my partners does as well. We ended up um, me and one of my metamors ended up teaming up to get goodness. Greg Baldwin, who voices Uncle Iroh on Cameo, and I cannot remember her name, the the young lady who voices Toph Beifong, we get, ended up like teaming up to get both of them on Cameo to like do a joint birthday wish for our shared partner, you know? Yeah, I'm like, we spent a bunch of time like coordinating that to, you know, for because we thought it would be uh, a fun thing to do. My wife is a busybody. She's really good at working herself until she can't move the next day. And like, there was a point where me and one of my metamors, we would like coordinate to make sure that she was resting properly, make sure that she was eating properly, make sure that she was, you know, well hydrated, especially on nights where like, if she was doing kink things and, and, and doing rope, my wife will tie people up all night and she's amazing at it, but then she won't be able to move the next day. So I've coordinated with metamors where it's like, okay, I'm going to go get her a bottle of water. You go get, grab her pajamas. You make sure that she, you know, you put a timer on how, how long she's working on that uh, on that rope thing and just making sure that she's taken care of in a way that we know she might lapse in terms of taking care of herself. Your metamorph relationship is what you make of it. I don't think it's a requirement to have relationships with your metamorphs, but just recognizing that you're on the same team and working for the benefit of the same person, someone who you both care about, just coming from that mindset really helps, really helps the dynamic, whether you choose to engage meaningfully with this metamor or not, just coming from that perspective is a bonus. Yeah. And I think, you know, speaking as a cis bisexual woman, we're taught the same thing. You know, I mean, what would cat fight, girl fights, women are pitted against each other in massive ways oh, yeah. about how they look, about their bodies, about who's better lovers, all of that stuff. Mm -hmm. Add on to that, like for myself, an anxious attachment style, um, add on to that trauma. I have, you know, been through those moments where I have never put the blame on someone else, but I have definitely seen those things within myself, how triggers come up and fears come up of, you know, my partner being taken away or, or you know, jealousy and then jealousy leading to a trigger or even a trauma or stress response. Mm -hmm. And so some of that is trauma for me specifically, but some of it is conditioning and some of it is really looking at that conditioning of like, oh shit, like, of course I feel this way because this is what we're taught to feel. Like we're taught to feel that women are not supposed to, you know, be connected, be sisters. We're supposed to talk about each other behind our backs and be catty and all of these things. And, you know, that's shifting, but you feel that that's still ingrained in our society, even, you know, just Instagram and looking at things and people feeling bad about themselves mm -hmm. and all that kind of stuff because, oh, I don't look like this or all that kind of stuff. Right. And so I think that it's just pervasive throughout and can really show up and, and requires loving and conscious examination. Very competitive culture as a, a race of beings on this planet. Mm -hmm. and yeah, it's, um, uh, it requires a lot of, uh, just like pushing through, <laughs> like and unpacking. The, unpacking the muck and then like, you know, but it's hard work, but it's like, it's worth, you know, the benefit in the end, in terms of, uh, the expansion and like the evolution, like it's, uh, well, that's the thing. Yeah. It's not easy, but absolutely worth it. Can we also talk a little bit on the tip of metamorphs, just how couples privilege and like how to make sure that other partners are being respected and like, can we talk about that? Like what's couples privilege and that kind of stuff? That's a good question. Yeah. Couples privilege plays out in a way where you prioritize relationship A over relationship B in a way where relationship B doesn't get, doesn't have its own autonomy. If I want to go out with somebody, my wife doesn't have a say on whether or not, you know, on who I go out with or, you know, like best we keep a shared calendar so that someone's always home to watch the kids. 
But like who's home and who's going out with who, I don't have a say on what my wife does with her relationships and she doesn't get a say on what I do with mine. But like some people do that. Some people employ um, what's called veto power, where someone can decide like you've got to end your relationship or you've got to stop talking to somebody. I don't understand that in that like I don't know what it solves. I heard an analogy that said like veto power is giving someone permission to break your heart. And that's what it sounds like to me. Like, I understand that there are people who I don't want to be around. If my wife was dating someone who I don't want to be around, I would just find myself not around that person. If I feel that my wife is acting in a way that makes me uncomfortable because she's with this person, I've got to make a decision for me and what I want to do with myself. I can't make a decision for her. I can't tell her you got to stop with that person. I can decide I don't want to be here anymore. And it's one of the most pervasive problems in polyamory, people feeling like they should have a leg up on on someone else's relationship. I read something like that recently in a group that I'm in. A young woman was writing about her and her husband. She's like, well, we're looking for other people. We're looking to date other people. Same thing. Monogamous folks trying to open it up. And she's like, well, if we bring in another person, how am I supposed to treat this person equally when me and my husband have been together for 10 years? You know, they're working on, they're starting at day one and we've been at 10 years. And I'm like, well, why do you want to lord over somebody? Why do you need to have a superior role? Is it, does it have to do with this person? Does it have to do with your insecurities about your relationship with your husband or just insecurities in general? Like, why do you feel this way? I've seen that kind of thing play out. It's never helpful. It never benefits a relationship. Like I've definitely seen people be upset because my husband said, I love you after we dated for four months, but he, he said, I love you to his new person after one month. I don't understand. You know, like what's to understand relationships play out differently. And if you happiness is often a product of your expectations and, and what is it? Comparison is a thief of joy. Like, yes, you really don't need to do that to make your polyamory pop. You don't need to do it that way. You can if you want to, but you're you're setting up your own obstacles and it's unnecessary, you know? Well, like, why are people doing this though? It's more... Well, there's a reason. To have like a sense of control. And, and safety. Like, yeah, a safety and an eject button. Like, <gasps> if this is not... Mm-hmm. My partner's energy is drifting over to this side, mm-hmm. I'll be able to press this button. It'll reset it. But actually, it's more of like a self-destruct button because yeah. like the animosity come from that and based off of like, I really like this person, but I don't want you to be with this person. And it's like, well, here we are. And like, you're trying to close Pandora's box in a sense. People outside of that established couple, they deserve safety and stability too. And if you can't provide that, if you can't protect your relationships from your other relationships, if you can't provide the stability to all the people you're dating, like you don't deserve to date the people that you can't provide that kind of stability to. They deserve better. And like, that's a sucky thing to have to hear but if you can't provide stability, then what are you even doing? Yeah, I definitely feel like I've, I've been confronted with that within the last like year. To, and, for, mm-hmm. and I've allowed it. I've had to show up in different ways to show that I want to be more present for my partner who uh, had this issue. And I was just like, oh, shit. I did not realize I was doing that. Mm-hmm. I, I offer the floor to you to, to speak your mind and share what you want to share with me. And I, I had to really just shut up and offer that space. I want to make sure that I add the disclaimer that when I say that, everything that I just said about like providing stability for partners, I'm not excusing myself for that. There are definitely times where I felt like I was providing what a partner needed only to find out from that partner, no, I wasn't. <laughs> <laughs> it requires communication now. Yeah. If someone's not going to tell you that, then you it, don't it makes, know. It makes it harder. Yeah. And like in some of those cases, we were able to adjust our expectations and maintain a relationship that maybe looked a little different than we than it looked before. And in other cases, we just broke up and moved on, you know, sometimes still friends, sometimes not. But yeah, I just didn't want to make it sound like I've got it all together. I fuck up too, you know, I work really hard at not fucking up. And thankfully, I don't fuck up the same way twice. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, yeah. Like but by yeah. the energy that you've been no, speaking yeah. with the whole time, I got that. That's been very clear. Yes, me too. Yes, but thank you for reiterating that for sure. So before we close and then ask you your rapid fire, I do want to speak because this is something that we sometimes struggle with, but like see, like face, you know, so I think there's a difference between you know, including someone, like you were saying, like the person that's like, oh, we've been th- together 10 years. How do I treat this person? I can't treat them the same way I treat someone with, I've been with for 10 years. You know, it's easy. You just offer respect and compassion and love and empathy. Like that doesn't matter how long you've been with someone. I, I'm going to do that with someone that I meet at like Whole Foods or, you yes. know, like a supermarket or something. Like I'm going to do that no matter what. 
And there's also needs that couples that are nesting partners, they live together or couples that are married or couples that share very big responsibilities together, like children or, you know, paying bills and these things. Intertwined lives. Intertwined lives, you know? And like, it's like, well, you know, like for me, it's like, sometimes I'm like, okay, well, I'm working till late and like, thought we were going to make dinner and like, help me out with that. And then it's not, you know, and like last last minute things shifting can be, you know, because we're a team in the way that we kind of navigate life. And so I'm just curious your thoughts about that, about how recognizing that with couples that have these more established relationships with more responsibilities like kids and stuff and bringing other people, not necessarily for a triad, but just having other partners and things like that. Like, have you seen people talk about that or or what's your experience of that as someone who's married with kids? My experience is that I come from a West Indian background. And so there was always other adults around other than my parents. There was always somebody who just came from, you know, from Jamaica or Guyana, somebody living in our basement for a few months, a few years. I sort of got my kids used to the idea that there were other adults all around. And so like, it's always just, there's other adults around. You get to, everyone gets to sort of decide their own level of involvement and investment. Like I've got people in my life who are really about my kids and really want to be about my kids. And I've got people in my life who aren't so interested in like hanging out with my kids. Cool, cool, cool. Everybody decides their own level of involvement, but like everyone gets same level of respect and autonomy, you know? We get in where we fit in, and if we can't fit in, then fine, we can go our separate ways, you know, no harm, no foul. No one has to be the villain. It's never a situation where it's like you have to be employed this long to get the respect benefit. Respect shows up at the door. And I try to make sure the people in my life, they know where they stand with me. They know where they stand with the household and whatever it is, like whatever level of involvement they want with the rest of my life. Like if they want to be friends with my wife, cool, cool, cool. Do that. You know, that's between y'all. If you want to hang out with my kids, if you talk to my kids and they respond to you, cool. Do what y'all, do what y'all want to do, you know, but my kids may or may not be interested in hanging out with you, whatever it is. I don't like putting up a lot of like manufactured gates in terms of the people in my life and what kind of place they can fit. Like those gates, the structure will create itself based on what we can and can't provide, what we can and can't expect from one another. So what I'm hearing is it's really about setting up expectations and getting on the same page with like, here's what I can provide. Here's what I'm bringing to the table and getting clear on the needs that everyone has and recognizing that, you know, things can shift and evolve and conversations can be had, but there also needs to be like, okay, like this is my capacity for X, Y, and Z. This is my capacity to be in this relationship with you. This is what it's going to look like. This is what I can provide. And, you know, as of right now, I might not be able to provide X, Y, and Z, you know, and, and, this is what I have control over and this is what I don't have control. I hear you that you want to be in relationship with my kids, but they might not want to be in relationship with you. They are yeah. individual human beings who have their own choice. Yeah. So yeah, I, I hear that. Yeah. I mean, and just setting up these boundaries, setting up these expectations and staying current with that, you know, like the weather channel, constant updates. I recently started up something casual with a friend and like there was a point where we were we were chatting, we were flirting and I was like, hey, before we go any further, if we're keeping this fun and flirty, cool. If you want something more involved, I don't know that I have the time and the energy for something more involved, but let's make sure we're on the same page with what we're doing before we go any further. And thankfully, it turned into something fun and flirty and that we're both enjoying. But if it was something that either one of us stopped enjoying or needed more of, or needed less of, just being able to have that conversation and not basing it on how someone outside of our relationship feels. That's what this stuff can be about. That's what makes this stuff really fun and really great, you know? Like you're an adult, I'm an adult. You, we, are we aligned? You aligned? Yes, I'm aligned. Then we, we, we're good. We don't have to switch or adjust how we're communicating. We can mm-hmm. continue on this path and keep it spaced out and schedule time when, when there's time. This, yeah. This talk talk, talk, talk Talk to your people and talk. Yeah. Be (laughs) be real, be honest. Don't, and don't tell people what you think they want to hear. Yes. Because that shit will come out. Some way. (laughs) (laughs) Yeah. Yeah. And even like, even the, um, I need to talk forever about this stuff, but you know, even just like, you know, more recently I was moving through some pretty deep healing and needed like a lot of support. Right. And so I'm even thinking back now of like, you know, even like, 
communicating that to people, right? Mm -hmm. Of like, this is where I'm right now. And this is, you know, you're the one I live with and I'm needing a little bit extra support right now. And, and bringing our community into that just to like, let people know. And and yes, I'm getting needs met through other partners as well, but you know, like Mm -hmm. just, it's just like really communicating and bringing everyone into the fold like what needs might be. I could even do that if I have a partner who has some needs, you know, like that's just like a a breakthrough, but just a a morsel that just a gem that just came out of this for me, even just talking with you, Kevin, that like, it's really about just communicating what is in the moment because then people can consent to it or not. They can be like, oh yeah, that works for me or no, no, doesn't work. Yes. Let's talk about that. Exactly. (laughs) Yes. Love that. Yes. Space to transition. To transition. Also, I'm going to tag one last thing on there. Also, a solid piece of advice, be prepared for disappointment and be okay with disappointment. Like I jokingly say, like polyamory means that like, you know, there are weeks where I have five dates in a week and like, and all sorts of sex and fantastic. And there are weeks where I get, where I get five cancellations, you know, (laughs) and sometimes it'd be that way. And I was going to get all bent out of shape every time something didn't go my way. Nothing would ever go my way. I've literally had people tell me, oh yeah, well, I'm going out with you because I was supposed to be going out with this other guy, but he got really pouty last time I had to cancel because my kids needed something. So I just took him off the calendar and put you on. <laughs> it happens. Thanks. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> One of the reasons why my relationships are able to be as stable as they are, and thank goodness, they are very stable, very chill relationships. One of the reasons why is because whenever life happens, I just accept that life happens. Like sometimes someone might be someone might be having like a bad brain day and they don't want to see me. Sometimes, you know, somebody's kids are, you know, somebody somebody's kids are doing something or or you know, or, or someone just might not feel like, you know, going out. Like I was supposed to see a partner yesterday and they couldn't make it because basically they got stoned the day before and didn't move out of bed until too late before they were supposed to see me. Life happens. It's fine. And in some other relationship that might cause stress, that might cause an argument in our relationship. It's rest easy. I'm going to go back to playing video games. And and the next time we see each other, we're still going to be just fine. Yeah. I love that. Yeah. That would probably would not be. I I apply that to text messaging. I apply it to things going out in life. I'm just like, give people the benefit of the doubt that like shit is other shit's going on. Mm -hmm. Like you gotta just give space always to that. And it's just like, it's okay to, it's also important to say like, it's okay to be frustrated and sad that something doesn't work out. Like Mm -hmm. and to express it, just be with those feelings. Don't try to push them down. Like I was really disappointed that I didn't get to see you. And if someone like responds to that and wants to be defensive about it, it's just like, "Whoa, whoa, whoa, I'm not saying this to make you feel bad. I'm just trying to speak my feelings to you. Okay, so we really need to move yeah. on. <laughs> let's get it. Let's get it. We can talk about this all day long. Like, okay. <laughs> so many angles. Okay, so rapid fire. Rapid fire. Uh, <laughs> okay. Um, so we are going to ask you a question, you know, as concise as possible. If you need to expand a little, that's all good. If there's something you want to skip, you can just say skip. Something that makes you belly laugh. Um, my kids. My kids are really funny. They'll get a one up on me every once in a while, and and I have to laugh when when they beat me in my own game. <laughs> Love that. Like, touche, pops. Touche. <laughs> if you could have a superpower, you seem like you wouldn't have this locked down. If you could have oh. a power, what would it be? <laughs> Teleportation. I can see everybody I want to see. I can start up a small business where I discount travel for people who can't afford it. Yeah, just the idea of saying like, hey, it costs you five hundred dollars to fly. It'll cost you $100 for me to take you there right now. <laughs> Just like touch someone and go someplace. Kevin, I would have reached out to you when my flight no. was canceled. I'd be like, it's okay. I'm I'll stuck. call Kevin. I'm stuck. <laughs> <laughs> it's all good. <laughs> That's good. Okay. The most wild or interesting place you've ever had sex? Hmm. I'm pretty boring that way. Um, wild situations, lots of people, lots of wild situations, but always like in a bed on a couch. <laughs> Fair enough. A couple times in the back seat of a car. Yeah, yeah. No. <laughs> Some kind of cushion is involved. Co- cushioning spaces. is involved. That cushion is important, important you know. Helps, <laughs> helps with the motion. When was the last time you cried? Boy, I don't want to leave out with a whole lot of dead space, but... uh. Last time I cried, I got stoned with some partners and we were all in like this really weird, emotionally vulnerable space. And like, I don't think I was crying for a reason. And I don't think they were crying for reasons. 
it was just a space that allowed for tears and they flowed and then like lots of wild sex and then crying and then lots of wild sex and that was like several hours over the course of a, of a night it was a good night it was a good night at least like a good night at least that is beautiful it really is cool when do you feel most vulnerable? When my kids aren't doing great, because I've got to remember that it's about them and not about the way that I'm feeling, you know? They might make me feel a way, but really the priority is how they feel in the moment. Something that turns you on. Geek shit from my partner. <laughs> yeah, like when they bring up some random factoid, some useless piece of trivia, I'm like, God, I'm in love with this person. <laughs> <laughs> That was so random. Mm. <laughs> I want to ask one more question, okay. and you can always say skip to this. If you had to pick in this moment one favorite kink or sex toy, what would it be? I've got a cricket bat that I don't get to use as often as I like, but I, I love it for the visual of having it. Like it's it's a really nice looking cricket bat. I've got a couple of stunt butts that I've been able to use it on, but not as much as I would have liked. But just having it, it feels like a powerful thing. Like, are we going to do kink? Are we going to play cricket? Are we going to kill zombies? Either way, I'm here for it. That's the best way to close. What we going to do? We going to do kink? Or is it the zombies? Or zombies? We're all three, if needed. Personal, very personal apparatus. As long as you wipe it off between between the legs. I mean, fuck the zombies. You don't have to wake up. Wake up fuck them. Nah, they don't, they don't get no wipe-offs for that. Nah. Oh, Kevin, this has been so great. So helpful and informative in yes. so many ways. Thank you so much. Hey, thank you. Appreciate yeah. it so much. Yeah, I appreciate you having me on. Thank you so much. I'm glad we did this. Me, me too. too. So what do you got going on? Is there anything? Talked about some workshops and stuff. What do you got? Right now, the thing that I'm like, I'm always writing a couple of books, but nothing impending. Dr. Liz Powell and uh, Dr. Kat Glick and I are working on workshops under the uh, the Unfuck Your Polyamory banner. Like the stuff we're focusing on now are, is for people who have polyamorous clientele. Like um, we like unfuckyourpolyamory.com also has like a six week user course that's available anytime. Um, and it's pay what you can pay, you know, whatever price you want to pay for it. The stuff we're working on now, which we'll sort of announce when we can is just stuff for people with polyamorous clientele, because, you know, there's nothing like going to a doctor or like a therapist or something like that, explaining your polyamory. And then you got to teach this person what polyamory is while they're trying to help you through the problems that you're dealing with. We want to be the middleman in that case. And we're teaching classes with continuing ed units for whoever might need them. Oh, that is amazing. That's great. Yeah. Oh, thank you so much, Kevin. Appreciate it. Hey, appreciate it. Appreciate it. Yes. What a great conversation. Yes. Like, especially on this topic, since we have the experience and like we, we're living in this, it's just, I got to talk endlessly. You know, it's really interesting. Like, so our two longest interviews we've ever done have been with polyamorous people. It makes sense. Yeah. Because we just want to keep talking about it yeah. forever and ever and ever. <laughs> we just don't want to stop. I mean, we could even break this up into two. Yeah, we like, to... uh, we got to really break it down. <laughs> like, you guys, we got to go. It's like, our podcast is supposed to be 45 minutes. We're like an hour and 10 minutes. Hopefully the editing dead spaces give break it down a little bit. But <laughs> No, but it was good. And I'm glad we started the way we did. Yeah. You know, these are important conversations to have. I'm glad that you and Kevin were able to, you know, I kind of like, I was like, I'm going to sit back and just like, listen to them rap on this for a minute, mm -hmm. you know, and I felt that. Um, Oh, did you? Yes. Cool. Yeah. My energy is pretty, um, like you feel when it's in and you feel when it's out. <laughs> your facial expression changes. It's just like, and you'll look like. You do this sometimes where you. I'm make making faces. faces. You know, I'm giving Brit the expression. He's doing this, the Britney space holding. Yeah. Where yeah. I like sit back, my body and energy gets bigger. Yeah. You know. Well, Brit has that expression and she also has her uh, facilitator hands that come out where it's just <laughs> constant like movement and like freezing of the palm and then like a hand going in one hand and then like drifting it out and like flowing it and doing twirls. There's like a twirling yeah, of yeah. my fingers like, when I talk, especially about the heart space. Especially. You want to get that? You want to turn it in on itself? <laughs> yep. Absolutely. You do that all the time. It's such a key, like, it's such a, like, a quintessential, like, uh, yeah. Britney moment. Britney facilitating. Ism. Ism. <laughs> but yeah, this was great. And I think that people who are not polyamorous can just always get so much out of this. And it's like, you know, I wanted to go a little deeper for those that are, you know, yeah. like, like, let's talk about some of this stuff that, like, 
is not the one-on-one is not the basics, you know, people that have been in the game for a minute Mm -hmm. and are, you know, like us, like we've had some challenges and some, you know, struggles, especially like that last question. That was like a really like, yeah, it's actually just about like setting expectations and hearing others' expectations and seeing what is possible. Mm -hmm. And a lot of the time people just want you to uh, presume and assume what those expectations are and kind of go with like, you know, what's happening, you know, every day in a society. Yeah. And I think the earlier on you get clear on those expectations is, you know, like, no, you're not going to be like the first date necessarily. I mean, the first thing you might be like, okay, well, like I can't do like a serious relationship. What does a serious relationship mean to you? This is what it means to me. Mm-hmm. That I don't have space for. I have space for casual, you know, but like you might do that, but you might not get into the ins and outs of like what it looks like with my partner on a day to day basis. Like you're not going to get into that maybe, no. but like once you've established maybe that like you and this person want a more committed relationship, because mm-hmm. we're talking about polyamory, we're not just talking about opening a relationship and having sex with people. We're talking about more established relationships. Yeah. They could still be casual, right? And so then it's like, okay, well, what does this mean? Like, just because we're in a committed relationship doesn't mean anything other than what we agree upon. Yes. And more times than not, people are operating with two separate definitions of what yeah. something is within that relationship. Yeah. Which we talked about with Liz, yes. right? With Elizabeth. I always like to call her like Elizabeth on our other polyamory section. So I think, and that can be across the board. Mm-hmm. Like when you're dating someone, whether they're monogamous or not, even that, have that conversation. Have you ever thought about ethical non-monogamy? Have you always been monogamous? Ask these questions to people, Yeah. right? Like be clear because it's the more that we open up to the possibilities of other ways of being, the more that we can evolve who we are into who we are truly supposed to be. And that's, we just might drop it right there. Boom. Mm-hmm. Thank you so much for listening. Follow Kevin at Polly Role Models on both Instagram and Twitter. That's P-O-L-Y-R-O-L-E models. And check out his website at KevinAPatterson.com. There's two T's in Patterson. Follow me at Sexually Underscore Liberated on Instagram. And check out my website at BrittanyPaulCastro.com. And we're on Twitter. Eventually, I'll post some content on there. <laughs> but check us out at K Table Podcast. Follow me at Nick Anthony Photo on Instagram and check out my website at nickantony.com. Editing by Audionauts, music by Greta Hopmer. And please like, subscribe, and follow this podcast. Share it with someone who you think could benefit. Maybe someone who's polyamorous. <laughs> and please leave us a review. It really, really does help. If you have been enjoying this podcast, which so many of you have told us about that, just hit us up. Give us some five stars if that feels aligned and share the love. Help us spread the kitchen table love, y'all. Until next time.